0: I'm talking to Dr. William Grant, who knows more about vitamin D and the effects of sunlight than anyone I know. He's not a medical doctor, but a PhD in physics with an entire career at NASA. After retiring from NASA, he formed the nonprofit organization, Sunlight Nutrition and Health Research Center in San Francisco to continue his work on the role of diet and UVB and vitamin D in reducing risk of chronic and infectious diseases. He's published a review on vitamin D in in, uh, relation to dementia in 2009, so really ahead of the curve, followed by several additional publications on vitamin D and Alzheimer's disease and dementia. He has 284 publications regarding vitamin D listed at pubmed.gov, which is where we all look for research. So, Bill, um, thank you so much for uh, giving me the time. How's the weather in San Francisco?
1: well it's been about 11 or 12 degrees uh, centigrade today it's we've had a, a, quite a bit of below 10 degrees for the last month or so fair amount of rain but today is sunny clear um and almost warm enough to go out and enjoy a stroll in the parks will you make some vitamin d today no no um Sun is too low. If, if uh, my shadow is longer than I am, I can't make vitamin D. And that, that applies to in you know, San Francisco for another month or two. Okay. And then the clouds roll in, then you can't make any either. Exactly. In San Francisco, we're known for the fog and clouds this summer. So what
0: does this study show? The headlines in the newspapers are supplementing vitamin D helps reduce dementia risk. What does the study actually show?
1: Well, they followed was it, twelve thousand people for uh, twenty. Followed quite a few people in, in a cohort study, um, and they what they did was they they um, found out which of them were taking prescribed vitamin D. That's either vitamin D three or vitamin D two or vitamin D three plus calcium. Uh, they they did not find out what their baseline or achieve vitamin D levels were. They didn't find out um, how much vitamin D they were taking. But um, the, the fact that they were taking prescribed vitamin D means a couple of things. One is that they probably had low baseline vitamin D levels because the doctors identified that for some reason they needed extra vitamin D.
0: And, and the other
1: thing is, since it was prescribed, it was probably a, a reasonably healthy dose, probably at least... Uh, one or two thousand if not more uh, international units per day and um, that would be enough to raise their vitamin d levels by maybe 10 15 just guessing 10 to 15 nanograms per milliliter or 25 to 35 nanomoles per liter so um, um, what did they it... actually find uh, from okay the... what they found then yeah was yeah. that that there was a 40 re- percent reduced risk of developing dementia of which about 80% was was Alzheimer's disease. This is over a 10 year period. So um, uh, this is a very, I think a very important finding is it's, it's a, a step below a, cl- a clinical trial, but it's a, a, an observational t- a study based on vitamin D supplementation. And, and, and that's a good way to do it. That, that has been shown uh, in the Veterans Administration Hospital to be associated with greatly reduced risk of myocardial infarction and Mm -hmm. COVID-19, even though randomized controlled trials have not shown benefits for either of those. Now, uh, of course, we
0: wish, uh, no doubt, that we knew the level of the people at baseline when they started the trial in their blood, in their serum, uh, and then again at the end, because that would really kind of help in the uh, exploration of what may be optimal. And I'm so grateful that you can rapidly translate between the American measure, the nan- nanograms per mil, and the UK measure, where we measure it in, um, is it millimoles or micromoles? Millimoles. Nan- nanomoles per liter. Oh, nanomoles. Nanomoles per liter. So here in uh, the UK, generally below 50 um, nanomoles uh, per liter is considered deficient. And uh, I'm not sure what that figure is in nanograms. So 20,
1: there's uh, 20 nanograms. 20 nanograms. factor so, of 2.5.
0: Yeah, so probably these people were deficient if they were prescribed that. And we don't know that because the data isn't given. And in your research, what is the level um, in the blood that equates to optimum in the context of cognitive function, dementia, and so on? And, you know, is it a... Is it a straight line? In other words, the more you have, the less your risk. What, what do we know about Optimum?
1: Well, uh, I did a, a, a quasi-meta-analysis based on four or five observational studies, and it, it appears that below, um, t- say, 25 nanomoles per liter is uh, very high, high risk for, for uh, Alzheimer's disease and dementia going above 75 nanomoles per liter or uh, 30 nanograms per, mil- per, nanograms per milliliter uh, was associated with uh, significant reductions in, in dementia and in Alzheimer's disease. Um, the, the optimal level may be, may be as high as 40 nan- nanograms per liter or 100 nanomoles per liter. Uh, so, so few people with that high levels were included in these observational studies. We don't have real good evidence on that. Yeah, so I mean, this is a really important
0: thing is that the more people we have, um, who we can track in relation to dementia risk or dementia development later in life, and we know their blood vitamin D levels, their serum vitamin D levels, then we can actually start to work out what confers the greatest benefit, the least risk. And you're suggesting in the UK figures, it's about 100 uh, nanomoles uh, uh, per litre. And as you said, very few people have that. I mean, what percentage of the population are up at that optimal level? What percentage are at the level that is clearly uh, conferring a much higher risk, like below 50 nanomoles per liter, or in the States, well, I think that would be 20.
1: Up to 40 or 50% have below, uh, I, I, about 50% have below um, tw- uh, 50 nanomoles per liter. Probably mm-hmm. about 5% have above 100 nanomoles per liter. Uh, It may be above uh, 75 nanomoles per litre, maybe 15, 20%. So all those with below 20, uh, 15 nanomoles per litre could certainly benefit from substituting, uh, supplementing with vitamin D to try to raise their their vitamin D levels. So we're we're really saying, in effect,
0: that at least half of the population uh, have significant risk because their vitamin D level is low and they would clearly benefit from supplementing on a daily basis or a weekly basis because it stores doesn't it
1: right right now of course there's another uh, factor involved and that's obesity obesity rates are rising because of consumption of ultra processed foods and obesity is a very important risk factor for alzheimer's disease um, and people who are obese require much more vitamin d a factor two or so more than those who are not obese um and what's very interesting is that um alzheimer's takes about 20 years to go from from start to full-blown uh, alzheimer's and um uh, they've shown that you've got to look over 20 year period to find the effect of obesity if you only look at 10 years you've lost half of the uh, increase and this study was a 10-year period wasn't it yeah but that that's okay they're finding the
0: effect of vitamin d mm-hmm Now, tell me, why would obesity um, uh, uh, have such a negative effect on vitamin D status?
1: Well, for one, uh, obesity is associated with systemic inflammation. In other words, the the, uh, adipose or fat tissue is producing uh, compounds that that increase uh, the inflammation. And inflammation is one of the risk factors for Alzheimer's disease one of the other risk factors for alzheimer's disease is free radical um, uh, oxidative stress and uh, i presume they have more oxidative stress as well uh, perhaps in part uh, due to the diet Uh, see if you go to a nice um, uh, optimal plant-based diet with a lot of uh, vitamins and the proper trace minerals you can reduce the production of, of free radicals and produce reduce the amount of uh, inflammation, um, but um, it turns out to to uh, to have the optimal diet to reduce risk of Alzheimer's is much more expensive than having um, going out and buy um, um, uh, hamburgers and chips and, and and that sort of thing.
0: So, um, so those explanations are not sort of um, direct. I was wondering whether vitamin d is less available if there's more fat tissue well okay
1: it, it is stored in the fat tissue mm-hmm. but there's just a larger volume if you take a thousand iu per day and you you have only way um you know small amount it'll go farther i mean it, it raises the blood level much more um mm-hmm. the the study the, the vital study is it, good,
0: is it good to have a lot of fat tissue storing vitamin d or, or less because the the obesity link would suggest it's not good.
1: Well, uh, it's sort of a sink. Uh, however, uh, what's very interesting is that in winter, uh, vitamin D levels are about fifty to seventy percent of what they were in summer, because they are the body is recirculating stored vitamin D in the muscles, and the muscles store vitamin D as as twenty five hydroxy vitamin D. Which is the same metabolite of vitamin D that, that's measured when you get your vitamin D level measured um, by by drawing your blood. And um, so it is it's, it's um, uh, so having a lot of muscle mass is going to be better for 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 utilization, storage and utilization and supply of vitamin D than is vitamin D in the the fat. Now if you if you go on a weight loss program and have a lot of fat, you will raise your vitamin D level as some of the vitamin D stored in the fat tissue is released to the, the serum, mm. but but it's not not really very active in the in the
0: in the adipose tissue. So you want to store it in your muscle, uh, not so much fat. Now, how much vitamin D would you need to take to get up to this hundred nanomol uh, level or the equivalent in the in the US? Okay, DNA?
1: so I weigh about um, uh, sixty kilograms. And by taking 5,000 IU per day, I've gotten up to 72 nanograms per milliliter, which is uh, about what, 180 or so nanomoles per liter. Mm-hmm. So maybe 4,000 IU per day for a smaller person uh, or would do. Okay, maybe. so it's
0: it's certainly sort of 3,000 or above. in everything. Right. Now, just out of interest, um, as you are expert on sunlight. I mean, how much exposure to sunlight in the in the months where the angle of the sun is, is sufficient, or if you live in more equatorial regions, would you need to have to achieve that kind of blood level?
1: Well, it's hard to get up above uh, uh, 100 nanomoles per liter in the sun, in part because the sun not only produces vitamin D, but sunlight also destroys vitamin D. It destroys some of the metabolites. So um, uh, it's easy to get up to around 30, uh, sorry, 75, 80 nanomoles per liter. In fact, in, in England, um, some people in summer generally have um, uh, an average value around 75 to 80 nanomoles per liter. Um, but getting much higher... See, part of the problem is that as you go in the sun, every day you start to tan mm-hmm. and tanning reduces the uh, amount of uvb hitting the 70 hydrocholesterol level by a factor of two to four uh at least in those people can tan easily i'm not sure how how much people in the uk with celtic skin tan hmm. but um it's um we tend to go red <laughs> right you know, right. white's red. But the reason I ask you this is it's
0: sort of interesting because in the research uh, that we've been doing on omega-3 and particularly DHA, it turns out that the optimal level is maybe a thousand milligram a day, which is way more than most people who supplement are even supplementing. So we know that supplementation in the case of omega-3 is associated with reducing risk for dementia by about 10%. So I'm really thinking evolutionarily here. Because we have to go back to the time when we were hunter-gatherers and Homo Aquaticus and living a lot more time by the water's edge, obviously outdoors. I mean, you know we're designed to be naked outdoors and living a lot further south than, than London, for example. So it's kind of interesting that in, in a sort of um, uh, you know, in a large part of our um, evolutionary history, and certainly you know when we came out of Africa rather than being in the northern climate. It seems that we probably, and I'm asking this as a sort of rhetorical question, may have had blood levels, you know, 80 to 100 nanomoles per liter in the UK measure. Um, is that is that likely?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, let me explain. There are studies from Eastern Africa showing that pastoral people who stay outdoors all the time and are clothed get up around over 100 nanomoles per liter. And I did a study uh, based on data from... Um, five Nordic countries on cancer incidents based on occupation. And it turns out that the those with outdoor occupations, whether it be gardeners or, or uh, uh, farmers or, or fisher folk or, or, or things like that, they had um, uh, cancer rates at about 80% of the average, whereas those with the indoor occupations, uh, like waiters and bartenders and uh, office workers and so on, had as much as 10 to 20% above average. So even in the Nordic country, where they only get uh, sunlight to produce vitamin D maybe six months of the years, those who had outdoor occupations could get the high levels of 25 phredoxy vitamin D. Now, as you well know, most people nowadays uh, live indoors, work indoors, um, live in big cities, do not get much sun. So um, it's it's just very, very difficult for most people through casual sun exposure to achieve greater than 100 nanomoles per liter.
0: So, I mean, the essence is if we want to be anywhere near our evolutionary ancestors or 99% of our history, so to speak, as Homo sapiens, really the only way is to supplement probably at least 3,000 IU um, in the winter, maybe a bit less in summer. Is that correct?
1: Uh, Yes, more or less. Uh, As Michael Hollick has shown, uh, based on um, the, the whole body irradiation of, of uh, participants in a tanning bed, to, one can make 10,000 to 20,000 international units of vitamin D per day with whole body exposure. So um, if you're exposing a third of the body, that would be maybe three to five, uh, 6,000 mm-hmm. IU per day.
0: Okay. So uh, with the appropriate sun exposure, maybe 20, 30 minutes a day in the summer, you don't need to supplement so much. Well, it depends on where you're trying, you're trying to le- reach. Um, indeed. So now there was an interesting finding in this because we're moving now into sort of theory or hypothesis. Because one of the findings was the um, APOE four carriers. So this is a gene that has very vari- variations. The right. APOE gene, and one of them, APOE four, um, confers a slightly increased risk for dementia. It's four to six percent overall. And in this study, they found that APOE4 carriers um, did a bit less well from the vitamin D, and the authors suggest that the APOE4 carriers would be better off uh, because the gene would confer better absorption, and if they're absorbing better, generally speaking, their level would not have been so low, and hence they would have less benefit from the supplements, which is kind of a little bit of a, you know twisted explanation. But what's your take? on this possible explanation for why the APOE4 carriers did less well in terms of reducing dementia risk in this study.
1: Yes, yes, that, that's a good explanation. It's, it's also known that APOE4 does increase vitamin D absorption, but, but there's an interesting study uh, from England by, by, by Crow, C-R-O-W-E, in t- 2011. Uh, the study compared uh, meat eaters, fish eaters, vegetarians and vegans looked at 25 hydroxyvitamin vitamin d or vitamin d level uh, winter spring summer and fall and they found that for all seasons the meat eaters had the highest vitamin d level the fish eaters slightly lower the vegetarians much lower and the vegans lowest and the difference was 20 nanomoles per liter between meat eaters and vegans so um so yes diet does provide a lot of vitamin D especially if you're eating um, now meat is muscle muscle like I said stores vitamin D as yes, 25 hydroxy vitamin D and that's not has not been included in the food frequency tables but is now being recognized as as the explanation what's that got to do with the APOE4 well so the people with APO APO APOE4 uh, are eating the same diet as people with uh, um, uh, without a- a- APOE4, and are just v- utilizing more of the vitamin D in their diet than those without the APOE epsilon4. Now so the, bı- th-
0: the th- thing is, generally we think APOE4 will increase the risk of dementia, but in this case, if APOE4 in fact improves the absorption of vitamin D, then we're not talking here about a supplement study well but, then you'd but even, even expect that they would have less risk if vitamin D was the major kind of driver
1: no no APOA epsilvore is still a risk factor for for uh, Alzheimer's diet included but uh, you've got to look at the 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 differential effect of the supplementation mm-hmm. and, and since they're starting from a higher base they they you know the, the
0: probably because we don't know their blood levels do we
1: but the relationship between twenty vitamin d level and vitamin d intake mm-hmm. changes as you go up in vitamin d level mm-hmm. if you have a high vitamin d level taking more vitamin d is have a less effect than if you have low vitamin d level it's like if you're if you're thirsty a glass of water does a lot for for your 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 uh, hydra- uh, hydration of your body if you're full of water, take another glass. Doesn't do anything. Same thing for vitamin D. So really, we would have loved to have
0: seen the blood levels of vitamin D before and after, because then you could even you could look at these differences with apoE4. Funny enough, uh, what I did recently, uh, and it was it was uh, triggered by a very very nice study in the British Medical Journal of thirty thousand people uh, in relation to their diet, and it didn't change their diet; just looked at their diet and. In effect, they could be good diet, average diet, or bad diet. And uh, what they found was was, uh, 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 a significant uh, increase in risk of dementia in the bad diet versus the good diet, and uh, slightly less in the average diet versus the good diet. And of course, like so many of these good studies, they measure APOE4, which is present in maybe one in four people. But they found absolutely no difference in ApoE4. So I went back to all the other intervention studies with B vitamins, omega 3, and so on. And generally, I could not find any uh, significant difference in the group with ApoE4, you know, once they were doing something, eating a better diet, taking B vitamins, having omegas, and so on. So this study is slightly different in that respect. But anyway, this is kind of the theoretical explanation for. Benefits. What do you think are the potential mechanisms that could explain why having enough vitamin D reduces risk for dementia?
1: Well, reduces inflammation, reduces um, uh, free radical production, oxidative stress. Um, Inflammation is a um, uh, a risk factor for neurodegeneration. And um, um, so, should we think of
0: vitamin D like an antioxidant?
1: It has that effect. It, um, it reduces, um, well, I, I'm a little hazy on, on, on the, the exact mechanism, but it, it has been shown to have some antioxidant properties. For one thing, I think it helps increase glutathione levels, and glutathione is an antioxidant, as I remember. And uh, what about mitochondrial function? Does it have any effect on mitochondrial
0: function? They're the energy factories within our cells.
1: You have some. I'm not really up on that yet either.
0: Yeah, so it's it's one of the extraordinary things because vitamin D has so many extraordinary effects on so many diseases, cancer, heart disease, obviously bones, as we know, immunity, and now dementia. And I'm still myself trying just just um, struggling, intrigued, interested in what the mechanisms may be. And I'm sure that research in the future may unpack that. One of the things the authors say is that, uh, or suggest is that vitamin D um, may lead to less amyloid uh, proteins and P-tau proteins. I'm a bit suspicious of this, I have to say. And the reason is there have been 30 trials now that have successfully lowered these these abnormal amyloid proteins that produce plaques in the gaps between cells and the synapses. So 30 studies that have effectively reduced amyloid um, by some fairly toxic drugs, and none of them have produced anything that we could call a clinical benefit. So I'm just wondering if this is another myth story, like we had the story that cholesterol, you know, was the cause of heart disease. And now we get the story that amyloid is the cause of Alzheimer's. And yet, you know, $50 billion worth of research later, and we don't really see any results. What's your take on amyloid and vitamin D? Uh, do you think this is well, a plausible explanation?
1: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you in in part that it's like, it's like the smoke, and it's not the fire. I mean, it's sort of the the indication, but but I think I, I I'm I'm researching the, the Alzheimer's now on diet, and I think there is some evidence um, that I'll, I'll try to send you that amyloid. There is evidence that amyloid plays a role. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, one thing I've, I've found recently is that uh, good sleep helps reduce amyloid buildup, mm-hmm. and. And good sleep is a, a risk reduction factor for Alzheimer's, i.e., if you don't sleep very well, um, you, you increase your risk of Alzheimer's. What happens, the last hour or so of sleep is when the brain sort of clears a lot of the junk that's in the brain, which includes a lot of the amyloid. And um, uh, I, I'm actually studying this in my own you know, in a personal way, in that I, 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 I carefully monitor my number of sleep hours and my my functionality during the day uh, uh, with respect to diet and if i have a just uh, a light dinner with fruits and vegetables and, and maybe some carbohydrates i sleep very well if i have a heavy meal with protein and fat and so on i am often interrupted in the middle of the night and, and lose an hour or two of sleep wake up the next morning very groggily so um um I mean, this, I think this, well, helps throw some light on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the conversation, it's a sort of a, well, not, it's not really quite a chicken or egg thing, but it's a bit like amyloid could be, and, and I think probably is just a an artifact. In other words, part of a, if you like, inflammatory process. So it's a little mm. bit like if you've got a disease, I mean, let's say arthritis or an aching joint, And there is inflammation present. Are you saying, A, that inflammation causes this, or B, that inflammation is a response to something that causes the problem? And then if you kill the inflammation, for example, if you take the joint situation with painkillers, it reduces your pain, does it actually uh, affect or slow down the progression of the disease? And we know in arthritis, it doesn't. Uh, So long-term studies, it doesn't work. So that's kind of what we're talking about. Is amyloid actually part of the cause or is it just a consequence? And uh, if vitamin D, you know, does many things, it's associated with less inflammation, associated with less amyloid and so on. But what's kind of really interesting, and I hope that we will sort of tease out is, and the important finding, of course, is that having more vitamin D, which for all of us humans who aren't living in the equator and aren't spending, you know, a decent amount of time outdoors, it actually means that we we all need to be supplementing vitamin D at a level probably in the winter of three to five thousand IU's in the summer a bit less. Is that a fair summary? How would you conclude?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, vitamin vitamin D is very very beneficial. It should be supplemented. And one should also think about taking vitamin K2 to help put the calcium in the hard tissues and not in the soft tissues.
0: And how much do you need of K2 in that consequence? Uh, Whatever the bottle says, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's usually about 100 microgram, I think. Or a little bit of natokinase. That'll do it, won't it? Right, right. Yeah. Um, Great. Well, Bill, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Uh, It's really good. This is yet another study showing the tremendous benefit of uh, supplementing vitamin D. And uh, thank you very much.
1: You're welcome.